just to be able to share with you guys and uh, what God is doing in my life and my wife's life, and she's up there taking kids to Grace Place. Now, I think I'm on, uh, at least I can hear me reverberating, so is that good? We're good? Cool. Sorry, I was getting signals in the back, so thank you guys for helping me there. Um, so yeah, so we moved back here. We lived in Chicago from 2008 to 2013. We moved from the south um, up here, and we joined uh, Tim at a church that he was up at on the far northwest side, and we were there for five years as worship pastor. My wife is from Florida, and we had the opportunity to move back south and be close to her family, and we had just had two kids and uh, we decided, you know, now it's time to kind of be close to grandpa and grandma. And so that was an awesome opportunity for us. And we went and uh, we were there for about three years, we had another kid. And then uh, God called us back to the city and people were like, you're moving back to Chicago. And I was like, yeah, that's how you know it's of God, because usually it's the other way around. People move to the Gulf, not to the lake. Um, the Great Lake. But anyways, we're excited to be here. What he called us to do is plant a church. And so we're here to plant a church on the far northwest side in a little community called Edison Park. It's one of the last neighborhoods in the city before you get out in the burbs. And God has really laid a passion on our heart for those people. Um, And we're kind of in the midst of that. We don't have a meeting yet. We have a prayer gathering. We actually have one tonight. And about eight of us are gathering just to pray and ask God like, to give us vision for our community and, and areas that we can bring the hope of Jesus, the gospel, into it and, and allow brokenness to be made heal through the power of Jesus and uh, his, his gospel message. And so we're excited. And Tim uh, is one of our partners. Tim has said, hey, we want to partner with you. And I'm just so glad that Tim is, is not just partnered with us, but said, hey, we want you to come and share and And so we're just excited to be here. Um, A little bit about me and my identity. Um, Like, yes, I'm a church planner, I'm a pastor. But first and foremost, I'm a follower of Jesus. And uh, that's like my identity. But I'm also a father, right? Uh, A husband. Um, And so uh, I love sharing about my wife. We've been married for going on 13 years now, um, 2006. And it's been an awesome ride. I can't imagine anyone else that I should be married to. Like, like she is the love of my life, but also she keeps me sane. Uh, you can ask her. I'm way better of a man post-marriage than I am before marriage. And that's a lot of credit to her. Um, and so she keeps me on, on really just growing and moving towards God. And it's awesome to have her in my life. Uh, my kids, my, like, I love being a dad. I am the crazy dad. Um, I love wrestling with my kids. Uh, It's always them versus me. I never want them to team up against each other. You know, they're always like, can we be on your team? No, you got to fight me, you know. So anyways, but we get after it and it's fun. I love them. Um, Usually Aaron's coming behind and trying to teach them, you know, the real stuff. I'm just like, hey, let's have fun. But that's not really true. But anyways, uh, I'm I'm a jokester. I like to have fun. Um, So yeah, that's part of my identity. Uh, uh, I'm a dad. I'm a a father. Uh, I'm a... um, I'm a husband, I'm a pastor, I'm a brother. Uh, you know, there's so many parts of me that I would love to stand up here and share about my identity that just goes on and on and on. Then there's parts of my identity that I don't really want to share about or that I'm not so comfortable with you guys knowing. Um, and it could be like, I just don't know maybe your political leaning or I don't know your social, uh, your, your social leaning and, and, and I'm not maybe comfortable sharing those things. Uh, the biggest thing I'm not really comfortable living in Chicago sharing is that I love baseball. And the reason I'm not comfortable sharing that is because I'm a Cincinnati Reds fan, um, not a Cubs fan. 
Um, and so I was born in Cincinnati. I'm a huge Reds fan uh, to the point where I have a friend of mine in the city who uh, is part of a group that gets season tickets. And I was like, dude, I will buy every Reds game. Every Reds game, I'm there. Um, I love the Cincinnati Reds. So it's always, I feel like I'm in like that awkward territory, especially right here, Roscoeville, just so close to Wrigleyville. Um, and so, yeah, there's parts of my personality I'm not that comfortable sharing. Uh, we might get in a heated argument, and I'm a very passionate person. You can ask my wife, and so I could talk baseball all day. Um, and, and I could go head to toe, and uh, let's just talk about Chicago. Well, I don't know about you. It's a lot about me. Like, I could keep going on about me. Uh, but what are parts of your personality or your identity um, that you have? Like maybe you're a father or mother. Uh, maybe you're uh, a business worker. Maybe you work in the medical field and you're a doctor. You know, maybe that's part of your identity. Um, maybe you're a child. Maybe you're um, a mom or a dad. What, what are those parts of your personality uh, that you love to share, um, that you love to talk about? Right? Our identity is so important to who we are, and we have multiple identities, so much about us that we can share. And then you're probably like me, there's parts that you're like, I'm not super comfortable sharing that about myself. Like, not that I don't believe it, not that I think I'm wrong for believing what I believe or, or the identity that I share, but I, I just, I need to kind of know if I'm safe, right? Um, and we live in a time where identity is so important, right? Um, everywhere we go, everywhere we see, it's about who do you identify with. Well, this morning I want to talk about um, Romans 1.16. And I think this is the most important identity you can have. Like, Paul's talking about identity here. I want to read it together. Um, uh, you don't have to read it out loud when I said together. I meant over you guys. Uh, Romans 1.16. For I am not ashamed of this good news about Christ. It is the power of God at work, saving everyone who believes, the Jew first, and also the Gentile. The reason why I'm talking about identity is because this is, this is, yeah, this is like a statement of faith here. But this is Paul's identity. Like, he goes so bold to say, I am not ashamed. Like, when I stand up and say I'm a Reds fan, like, I'm willing to put myself out there and say, I'm a Reds fan. Bring it on. I've even been in the O'Hare airport and gotten, like, extra search going through security because I had a Cincinnati Reds hat on. Like, and she was like, yeah, you're not a Cubs fan. Like, and so she was, you know, giving it to me that day. Like, I get it, right? So there's certain parts of her personality, our, our identity, I should say, that um, can cause some trials in our life. And Paul says, I am not ashamed of this good news of Christ. For it is the power of God at work, saving everyone who believes. So here's what I want you to know this morning. It's real simple. Real simple. Identity worth having is identity worth sharing. Identity worth having is identity worth sharing. And I shared earlier that I'm a dad and I'm a mom, or I'm not a mom, I'm a husband. And, uh, <laughs> and um, I'd be a horrible mom. Uh, but anyways, uh, I'm a dad, I'm a husband. I, I enjoy sharing those things, right? What are the parts, like I, I mentioned, like some personality, uh, some identity parts of our life are easy to share, some aren't. What are areas of your life that are easy to share, right? those are usually worth having. Like, it is worth me identifying as a husband to my wife. And I love sharing about that. I love sharing about that. Identity worth having is identity worth sharing. Well, let's, let's dig in. I, I really just want to stay pretty true to this, this one verse, Romans 1.16. Feel free to follow along. I'm reading out of the NLT, the New Living Translation. In front of you is the ESV. It's okay. If you have your phones, you want to pull those out and open up the uh, Bible app if you have that. To follow along, you can. But it'll, it'll kind of 
go real, real close together, the same trans or the different translations. So feel free to follow along or just listen and take some notes. But what I want to do is with this, I want to actually go backwards. And so uh, I want to take this text and break it down. And instead of like going like from the beginning through to the end of this verse, I want to actually work our way backwards. And the, and the last thing that he says, that Paul says, is that um, this good news, it's saving everyone who believes. Everyone who believes. And so I want to ask you this morning, um, are you worth saving? Do you think you're worth saving? I think that's a very interesting question because... Um, I think if we're honest with ourselves, I think we want to be worth saving. And we also struggle because we know um, the areas of our life that we don't want anyone to know about. And, and we go, God, am I really worth saving? Like, you came for just me? I have a sister of mine, and um, I don't know if she's a believer or not. Because I say that because um, it's just a tricky situation. I don't want to share about her life too much. But um, she um, doesn't go to church all the time. There's not a lot of fruit in her life. There's times where she speaks like, hey, I'm praying or stuff like that. Anyways, the other day we were talking and she was struggling and I, and I just shared with her about the gospel and that Jesus loves her and that if, if she was the only one to ever believe the gospel of Jesus Christ, he would have came to still die. And she was like, wow, you know, I've never thought about it that way. Like I've never thought about, you know, me being so valuable to Jesus, so valuable to God the Father that he would send his only son to die. And so, uh, as you sit here, you know, if you're a believer, ask the Holy Spirit, you know, do I believe that I'm worth saving? That you love me so much that you would come to die for me? Um, if you're not a believer, I want you to know that you are worth saving. So much so that Jesus did come to die for you, and he raised again. So are you worth saving? The second one, I want, the second question on this is, is saving everyone who believes, is who do you love? Think right now, just ask yourself, who do you love? Because I think as we begin to think who we love, like we want them to be saved, right? Like my sister, I just shared about her, like I want her to know Jesus. I want her to feel the joy and, and the everlasting um, hope of salvation um, in Christ Jesus, and, and so uh, saving everyone who believes. And so start recalling those people uh, in your life that you love. Now here's the hard one. Who do you dislike? Saving everyone. Everyone. You know, there's people who just get on my nerves. I don't know if you're real here. I'm real here. Um, some people I meet, I'm like, hey, we're best friends for life. Tim and I, like from day one, you know, he's the first person I met in Chicago, by the way. Um, when we came to visit, he met us and took us, me and my wife out to, to lunch. And, and Tim and I just kind of hit it off. And then we move away and in space, you know, we're 13 hours apart. And like we would text, but obviously, you know, we didn't like have FaceTime sessions and all this kind of stuff. Um, you know, uh, we weren't bros, but at the same time, you know, we get, we come back to the city and immediately we're, we're going to get, get lunch again together. Like Tim and I just kind of connect, right? And there's certain people in your life that, that you just connect with. And then there's certain people, it can be family, it can be coworkers, it could be neighbors, um, it could be friends. You just, you just don't really fit. And it's kind of hard. You just, something about you, you know, are they worth saving? You know, does Jesus love them enough that he would come? And, and I would say, yeah, they are. And so I think what Paul is saying here is that at the very end of this statement, saving everyone who believes, identity worth having is identity worth sharing. And so all those people that you've thought about since I've kind of started talking with this, the, the people you love, the people that you kind of dislike, even yourself, 
it is worth sharing your identity in Christ. Um, so saving everyone who believes. The next is, it is the power of God at work. Right? I'm working my, my way back here on purpose. So saving everyone who believes. Um, this good news is the power of God at work. Now, the cool thing about this is God's power is absolutely working here. Like, it is absolutely working. Every minute of every second of every day, it is working. His power is working. It's an effective power. So you can't get away from it. You can't, you can't, it's not like, well, maybe God's power will work today. No, it's effective power. Nothing can change us, not even you. Here's what I want you to hear this morning. You are not a special kind of sinner that God created a loophole. Right? Like we're all on this journey of sanctification, of becoming more like Christ, which means we all in this place continue to sin. Maybe it's sins of commission. Maybe it's sins of, sins of omission, right? Like we are not in our, in our perfect state yet, which we will be one day with God. So in this place, I want you to know, as, especially as, as we heard today, like this season of Lent, where we're reflecting on, on who we are in God at this point and repenting and, and saying, God, we want to become more like you. Um, you know, I love Lent and uh, my personality, I don't know if you do the Enneagram, that's kind of a cool thing right now, right? Um, I'm, a, I'm an Enneagram 7, and what that means is I like, my core fear is pain. I don't like pain, okay? That can be good, that can be bad. Like, there's times where, like, my wife needs me to sit down and be like, hey, you need to embrace this right now, like, right? Like, wrestle through this. And then there's times where it's good for, for me to kind of in, influence people and say, hey, you know what? Let's just set this pain aside and move. So I wanna, what I want you to know is during this Lent season is there is immense joy in this season that, that Jesus, is, it's, it's already finished. And so in this season of Lent where you are stripping away yourself, that's not, a, that's not a hard thing, that's not a hurtful thing, that's a joyful thing. Because you're in Christ Jesus if you are in Christ Jesus. And so yeah, you are not a special kind of person, a special kind of sinner that, that Jesus was like, mm, nope, sorry, you sinned your way out of that one. No. Your identity in Christ is secure in Him. So it is the power of God at work. Absolutely working. Um, I love Romans 8.28. And, and this is what I love about this passage. This is the beginning of Romans. And the rest of Romans kind of explains this in so much detail. Um, but Romans 8.28. I'm convinced that nothing can separate me from the love of God that I have in Christ Jesus. Nothing. It even goes on to say all of creation. Well, guess what? You're part of creation. Um, so you cannot remove yourself from the love of God that you have in Christ Jesus. There's not a sin you can do. And so I want to encourage you that this morning. Um, the next that uh, we're working our way backwards, so he's at the end of the message, say, or at the end of the verse, saving everyone who believes. It is the power of God at work. And then Paul says, before that, it says, of this good news about Christ. I want to read Romans 5, 6 through 11, because this is the good news, and it is so encouraging. And I think uh, if you can mark this verse down um, and, and, and just maybe write it down and put it in your car, uh, bring it with you around, have it on your phone, uh, and just read it over yourself. Um, it is so powerful. Um, and it starts out with this uh, in verse 6. When we were utterly helpless. I love that. When we were utterly helpless. Like, you can't save yourself. Like, have you ever been helpless? Have you ever, like, been in a situation where, man, you needed someone? Uh, I was watching Tim earlier, uh, the life of being a pastor. Um, he was upstairs walking in the hallway towards Grace Place, and there's this light 
fixture that had come out of the ceiling. And, and Tim, being an awesome pastor, he's up there on two chairs, about to like fall off and kill himself. And he's trying to get this, this light fixture back into, into, this, into the ceiling. It's not working at all. It was, it was pretty comical to watch. Um, I took a picture. If you want to see it afterwards, I'll share it. Um, but bless his heart. That's what we say in the South when you're utterly helpless. Um, but bless your heart. He's going after it. And, you know, he needed some help. And so we offered, Sarah and I were up there, we offered what help we could. Um, but I, I think in that moment, he felt a little utterly helpless. He felt a little frustrated, right? That, that moment where you're, you're like, man, I feel like I'm in too deep. You know, uh, there's no point in return, but I don't see my way out. Utterly helpless. When we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. Now, most people would not be willing to die for an upright person, though someone might perhaps be willing to die for a person who is especially good. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. And since we have been made right in God's sight by the blood of Christ, he will certainly save us from God's condemnation. For since our friendship with God was restored by the death of his son while we were still his enemies, man, this is so awesome, we will certainly be saved through the life of his son. Let me read that again. We will certainly be saved through the life of his son. So now we can rejoice. Hallelujah. Full joy. We can rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God. Because our Lord Jesus Christ has made us friends of God. I hope that brings joy to your heart this morning. And I, I hope that, that this is your identity. Right? Like this is our identity if you are a believer in Christ. If you have, have placed your faith and trust in Jesus. This is your identity. Friend of God. Relationship with God. Restored. New life. Not God's condemnation. You are worth saving. Identity worth having is identity worth sharing. So this is the good news that, that Paul says. And then he says right at the very beginning, he starts this off. And, and this is, uh, I really want us to get this part. Um, for, he says, for I am not ashamed. When I just think real, real quick, like, um, I, I, as, as he says, I'm not ashamed of this good news of Christ. I think of two things, um, two ways that we share our identity. Um, there's two parts of the Christian faith that we share our identity. One, we share our identity with our neighbor. And who is our neighbor? Everyone. Everyone that you come in contact with is your neighbor. To me, this is evangelism. This is sharing your faith like someone who doesn't believe. And then the second way is we share our identity with our family. Church family. Believers, right? You, come, you become a friend of God. Everyone's in that family if you believe in Jesus Christ. I think that's called edification. Um, my dad, who was a pastor, he always said um, discipleship is a two-sided coin. Ed, uh, uh, you have evangelism, you have edification. And you can't split them up. You can't, you can't break them up. Um, I, I was even, had someone talk to me the other day, and they said, you know, a disciple is never truly a disciple of God until they make a disciple. And so I want to ask you this morning, have you had the joy? This isn't a condemnation. This isn't like a, even though, you know, I'm, I'm not Tim, so I get to drop truth bombs and walk out and he's got to pick up my mess. But, um, you know, but this is, there's no condemnation here. But I want to ask you and challenge you have, you, have you been a part of an opportunity to make a disciple of Jesus? 
It's one of the most joyful things you'll experience in your life. And it is part of growing, right? We come to church, um, we sit down, we listen to the Word of God being preached over us, we sing songs together. Um, Those are so important. But that's just one side of the Christian, the relationship with God coin that we have and that we've been called to. The other side is evangelism. And so when you're not ashamed, we're sharing these things together. Now here's the problem. Why did Paul say this? I believe Paul said, I am not ashamed because... Um, if you read some of the backstory, like there's some reason to be ashamed. One, um, the city, the city of Rome, where, where he was writing this message to, um, the, the church uh, was known for uh, having great faith, but they weren't known for being this powerhouse church. Like they weren't the church in the city that is running thirty thousand people and big. Like there's small house churches all over, and not only that, but Rome was sophisticated. Rome was studied, and and is this gospel message really good to stand up against this? I don't think you can compare Paul. Like I don't think you can kind of reach into this. And so I think he's laying out one of the. I mean, this is like probably the most coherent, full Romans is like it's the fullest presentation of the gospel we got in the New Testament. Like, it's just all there. And he's writing this message to Rome to lay it all out and say, no, this is true. I'm not ashamed of this. Then the other thing, there's people who say, hey, Paul, like, imagine Paul, literally a killer of Christians. And then God calls him to preach. That's hard. Like, I can't, you know, I can't imagine if, if God had called me from that to this and where I'm standing up here and I'm like, hey, this is part of my history where literally I killed some of you. Um, talk about like ha- having a reason to be shamed, having a reason to, to be ashamed of this message and to say, I'm not worthy. Um, this message isn't worthy. Um, but he says, no, I'm not ashamed. Why? Because this is the most important thing in the world. I want to read this kind of a long text, but I, I want us to hear it this morning. Uh, if you want to follow along, I encourage you. It's, it's right after this, Romans 1, 18 through 32. Um, and this speaks to the culture then. And... Uh, I think it shows, you know, Paul's saying, hey, this is what happens because people rejected God. But I also think what it's saying is this is, uh, this is also what culture wants. And they don't want, they don't, they don't want the gospel. They want the gospel to kind of be ashamed. They kind of want to push it aside. So here's what he says, uh, verse 18. But God shows his anger from heaven against all sinful, wicked people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. They know the truth about God because he, may, he has made it obvious to them. It's kind of a cool statement. Um, for ever since the world was created, people have, people have seen the earth and the sky. Through everything God made, they can clearly see the invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature, so they have no excuse for not knowing God. Yes, they knew God. But they wouldn't worship him as God or even give him thanks. And they began to think up foolish ideas of what God was like. As a result, their minds became dark and confused. Claiming to be wise, they instead became utter fools. And instead of worshiping the glorious, ever-living God, they worshiped idols made to look like mere people and birds and animals and reptiles. So God abandoned them to do whatever shameful things their hearts desired. As a result... They did vile and degrading things with with each other's bodies. They traded the truth of God, the truth about God, for a lie. So they worshipped and served the things God created instead of the Creator Himself, who is worthy of eternal praise. 
That is why God abandoned them to their shameful desires. Even the women turned against the natural way to have sex and instead indulged in sex with each other. And the men, instead of having normal sexual relations with women, burned with lust for each other. Men did shameful things with other men, and as a result of the, the sin, they suffered with themselves the penalty they deserved. Since they thought it foolish to acknowledge God, he abandoned them to their foolish thinking and let them do things that should never be done. Their lives became full of every kind of wickedness, greed, hate, envy, murder, quarreling, deception, malicious uh, behavior, and gossip. They are backstabbers, haters of God, insolent, proud, and boastful. They invent new ways of sinning, and they disobey their parents. They refuse to understand, break, uh, break their promises, are heartless, and have no mercy. They know, God, they know God's justice requires that those who do these things deserve to die, yet they do them anyway. Worse yet, they encourage others to do them too. Um, this is a very loaded text, very heavy text. Um, there's parts of this text I even think that you, you can get stuck on. And, and what I think this is, is this is, to me, it's an all-encompassing text that pulls everyone in, no matter where you are. If you don't, if you don't believe in Jesus, if you don't, don't see God's creation and what it's kind of drawing us to and, and to the gospel message and, and seeing Jesus for who he is, like, this is the alternative. To the point where it's kind of comical, where they, he says here, um, they invent new ways of sinning, and they disobey their parents. Like, that's like way up here to me, and then like my three kids disobey me all the time, right? Like, so like, um, yeah, there's some parts here where we're like, man, these sinners, man, these are, these are, ugh, you know, like, what? Um, but yeah, you know what? They invent new ways of sinning, and they disobey their parents. Like, does that sound like... Your situation, maybe not like your home situation, but like culture. What I want to encourage you this morning with is culture then, it's the same culture now. This isn't a new culture. Like there's, there's nothing new under the sun, right? And so culture then is culture now. And so um, culture lives to shame the good news. God said it, they, they chose to become foolish. I was watching this good... Uh, uh, let me rephrase. I was watching a de- documentary and the other day, and the documentary was called Is Genesis uh, History? And um, it looks at uh, creation paradigm versus uh, evolution paradigm. I'm not a scientist. I don't want to get into it because I'm not a scientist. I'm going to do a really bad job at explaining those things. What was awesome, though, is just to see how there's some good scientific evidence out there to show that, that the creation paradigm is just as valid as the evolution paradigm. But we choose to not even engage this. Why? Because if we do, we have to accept that there's a creator. If we accept that there's a creator, then we accept that there's someone higher than us that we have to live to. Now, who is that? So to me, I totally see why the majority of our culture has to choose to be foolish to say, no, this isn't real, I have to embrace this. To me, that's what Paul's saying here in this text. They're choosing to become foolish. They're choosing to say, you know what, I'm ashamed of all this. And Paul's saying, no, Christian, you don't have to be ashamed. You don't have to be ashamed. This is the message that is worth sharing. So, uh, I guess what I want to say is, 
you know, we are not ashamed of the gospel because the gospel will never shame us. That's the hope you have this morning. The gospel will never shame you. May you be persecuted for the gospel? Yes. You know? I don't know if you know this. I think our culture doesn't want you to know this, but did you know that the Christian faith is the most persecuted faith in the world? We, we are blessed to live in a, in a country that we do not fall on that list. Like we're very low on that list of persecution. And so for believers in America, I think we, we kind of distance ourselves from that. But yeah, the Christian faith is the most persecuted faith in the world. Um, and so, uh, yeah, there might be that. Um, could you lose a job? Yeah, you could lose a job. Could you lose influence? Maybe. But will the gospel ever shame you? No. To me, the word, the power of shame is the gospel failing you. The gospel will never fail you. The good news of Jesus Christ will never fail you. It will never fail you. You will never check in and say, oh, yep, I'm that special kind of sinner. I fit that loophole. I don't, I don't quite measure up. Because it's not about you measuring up. It's about the work that Jesus did on the cross and in, res- in rising from the dead. Um, so yeah, so uh, the gospel will never shame you. So here's a couple questions for you this morning as we kind of begin to wrap up. Do you believe? I don't want to ever stand before a group of people and assume that everyone in this room is a believer. That everyone has chosen to make this identity their own. That everyone has chosen um, to say, you know what, I am a sinner. And while I was still a sinner, Christ died for me. And then he raised again, and in him I can have new life. And so if that's you this morning, you know what? I mean, I'm believing that it could even be that you've been a faithful Christian for like 20 years. But you haven't yet believed the gospel. And so I encourage you, don't wait. You are not guaranteed another moment, another breath. Um, stuff happens all the time. Talk to Tim, talk to an elder here, reach out. Um, and, and just have that honest conversation that, that I believe this is a safe place where you are welcome and, and that you can, can shed this idea that you need to look like a perfect Christian. No, you don't. Um, and and, and uh, this message is for you. You are worth saving. Um, and that's why Jesus came to die for you. And, and maybe this is the first day you've ever stepped foot in a church. And um, I just want you to know, too, that you're welcome and this message is for you. Salvation is for you. Um, and so uh, I, I encourage you to do that. And the second thing is, are you ashamed? You know, have you been ashamed? I, I feel it. I mean, I don't, you know, again, I feel like I'm, I'm a pretty normal guy. Um, I, you know, even as a pastor, as I'm walking into this new season of my life, like, I don't, they're just shedding some honesty. Like, there's areas of my life, as a pastor, I don't even feel like I measure up. You know, like, like I'm not the great exegeter of the word, but... And, and then culture comes in and says, well, are you worth saving? Yeah, you know what? I am worth saving. Um, and uh, in that, like, you know, like there's, there's this pressure, I think, from culture that says, no, don't share. Especially now in this world where we live with, with, with uh, social media, where anything you can say can be turned into a viral meme that reaches the masses, Right? Um, that's the beauty and the curse, right? The beauty is a small church in Roscoe Village can literally touch the world now. And don't believe you can't. You can. Um, and that comes with great responsibility. And so are you ashamed? I just want to remind you, the message that you have, the identity you have will never shame you. The identity you have is worth it. It's worth it. 
identity worth having is identity worth, worth sharing. Um, so I want you to imagine with me, just for a moment. Imagine with me if everyone in this room were not ashamed. What would our influence be like? What would this block of Roscoe Village look like? What would the city of Chicago look like? What would your homes look like? Your workplaces look like? I believe if we all lived unashamed, I believe that, that, that Christian free would experience a move of God in this place like you have never seen before that you couldn't ask, think, or imagine what God would do. I don't know what that looks like. I'm not saying that means 400 people would be in this place. That's not the goal. But I know that the move of God would happen if we lived unashamed. What would your workplace look like? I think that your influence would be such that you would be making disciples of Christ. Storing up treasure in heaven. That the kingdom would be changed because we're living unashamed. And I can't promise you that that wouldn't lead to losing your job or that wouldn't lead to maybe you're, you having to live off of savings or, or even, um, even having to, to join, become a homeless, you know, becoming homeless. But I promise that the gospel wouldn't shame you. That it wouldn't fail you. Aaron and I moved here because we believe, we, we, as we were called to move to Chicago, we had a friend of ours, so I want to close with this story. Um, we were at a church of about 7,000 people. It's a large church in Florida. And we were ready to be there for like 20 years. Like set up shop. Life is perfect. Um, the great American ministry dream. Like everything's taken care of. Um, and, uh, and one day the, the church came in and said, hey, like we have to restructure and we can't afford your position anymore. Like, we're deciding to put that money somewhere else, and so you don't have a job. They were great about it. Like um, like I said earlier, I'm a seven, so I don't like pain. The beauty of that is I embrace joy, and I see joy in the midst of pain. So, yeah, that hurt, and at the same time, any time that we walk through pain, to me, is an opportunity to see God's hand work and God provide. And so, in this moment... I had one of two opportunities, and it was either to get bitter and get mad and, and, you know, you treated us poorly, or, hey, you know what? God's going to provide, and I'm grateful that I'm the one on staff that was told we, we had to go somewhere else, that they couldn't support us anywhere. And so it was just an awesome time of healing there in that moment. And, and what was also funny is they felt even worse at one point. They were like, man, we would love if you just hated us right now. Um, and we're like, no, we're not going to do that. We love you. And, and they loved us. And they're actually one of our biggest supporters in church planning here. And, and so that's really cool. Um, but in this process of coming here, and as we looked around and, and just prayed, and somebody said, come to Chicago. Um, Chicago, only 7% of the population knows the good news of Jesus Christ. What we're talking about here, 7%. Um, that's over 2 million people who don't know who have chosen the foolish things of the world. And because they've chosen the foolish things of the world, they're culpable. And what that means is they're guilty. What that means is, outside of the saving work of Jesus Christ, they're dying and they're going to hell. Like That's, that's our driving passion. And we're like, okay. And we, and we had this connection here, right? As we looked, 
and the neighbor, the area we were, we, we had lived in Birmingham for a while, Birmingham, Alabama, and studies there show that about 60% of the population there knows Jesus. Like, whoa. And, and there's reason we call that, like, I call it Jesus land. Um, but, like, people identify as being followers. Where we were in Florida, it was about 25, 30%. India, India is 5%. Chicago is closer to India than it is to parts of, like, you know, 13 hours away, 10 hours away, 6 hours away. And so we felt this call, and we felt like, you know what, God is calling us to this great city. Not only that, this is a world city. Not only that, I was talking to a friend of mine the other day, and they said, you know, I assume if you've been in Chicago at any length of time that you know that um, the great Polish population here, and, and, and outside of Warsaw, it's like the largest city of Polish people in the world. Um, I met a, a friend of mine who's Middle Eastern who's planting a church to reach Muslims in the city, and he said that uh, from people in the Middle East that Chicago is actually considered the unofficial Muslim city in America. This is where people are coming. This is where people are moving. It's also the fastest, Islam is the fastest growing uh, religion in the world right now. Um, and so as we're looking to come here, uh, we're like, wow, you know what? Like, Chicago is very important. Like, it is, like, to me, um, just a very, I don't even want to call it ground zero, but it is a very important city, world city that affects how the world happens, and we have the power of the gospel to change people's lives. And so as we come, like, that's, that's, this is why this is important to me. This is why I want to share this with you is, is we can never move past the gospel, I think. Like, like you, you don't check the list and say, okay, now I'm a believer. Now let me move over here into, like, growing into Christ. Like, there's not a day goes by where you don't need the gospel in your life. You don't outgrow it. You don't outgrow it. And so I want to encourage you there um, and just say identity worth having is identity worth sharing. And, and I pray, like my prayer for you is that um, that Roscoe Village would be changed by your faith and by your sharing the, your identity. I pray that the city of Chicago, I'm praying for a move in the city of Chicago, which I believe there's a move. Like I don't believe like Aaron and I are like um, some like spark or flame. Like we're joining what God is already doing here. God is doing mighty work. God is doing it here in this building, uh, in this community. God is doing it through the partnership that we have at Missio Day. He's doing it through so many other networks in the city. God is moving and God is stirring. And my prayer is that Chicago would be like the church at Ephesus that saw so much change because of the gospel that there was economic change. That there's, 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 there would literally be a, a change in the city that it would change because of the gospel. Um, and so I'm, I'm, I'm hopeful. I'm, I'm encouraged um, by what God is doing here in the city. I'm thankful for your opportunity for me to come and share not my message, but the message of God, which is the gospel, which is the good news of Jesus Christ. And uh, I want you to know that um, I'm not ashamed, and you don't have to be ashamed of this good news in Christ because it is the power of God. It's the only power of God. It's the only thing that is working and will work and will continue to work. And it's saving everyone who believes. Everyone. Um, so don't discount people. Don't, don't, um, I want to encourage you to say, don't um, think anyone is not worth saving. And most importantly, don't think you're not worth saving. You are worth saving. Um, if, I know we're going to go into a time of prayer, but as Tim comes up or the prayer comes up, I would like to pray for you guys. Um, and so if you will, just bow your head and um, focus your mind's attention and your heart's affection towards God during this time. Um, 
And I just want to pray a bold prayer over this place and over you in your life. Um, and just using the boldness of Paul in this message today that I am not ashamed of the gospel. Um, Jesus, we thank you. We thank you for the good news that you are our salvation. We thank you that it is not by merit, it is not by anything we can do that we can know you, that we can be right with God. It is only through faith in your work and what you've accomplished. Paul later in this book says we boast in Christ. And so, yeah, we are proud of you. We boast in you this morning. And so in all the areas of our life where, um, where shame has crept in, where we've kind of believed and begun to believe that there's parts of your word that, that aren't true or um, that aren't good anymore. Holy Spirit, would you encourage us to stand firm in your word um, and to hold on to, uh, to the truth and to live a life unashamed. And then I pray that as, um, as the world kind of impacts us, um, for those in this room who might hear this message and might be called into ministry or might just be called to their block and to live a life worthy of the call, um, and they might encounter people who hate them. I pray encouragement. I pray perseverance. I pray faith. Thank you for this church. I pray that um, through this church, you would do exceedingly abundantly beyond anything we could ask, think, or imagine for your glory, for your kingdom. And lastly, every person in this room, Holy Spirit, would you just let them know how much they are worth saving and how much you love them and how much you are bringing us into um, relationship with you through the gospel. We love you. We thank you. Fill us with joy. Fill us with kindness and compassion. In Jesus' name.